0: The other day I was uh, watching a news story where the news team went around and their mission was to do good to the needy. And uh, in this one heartbreaking story, a young Nevada woman in her 20s was struggling to make ends meet uh, for her and her four kids as her husband was sick with cancer. And, of course, he had uh, obviously stopped working, uh, and so uh, because they decided to send him to Los Angeles for medical treatment. So, you know, obviously you get better medical treatment, but that requires, you know, and it's out of state that requires uh, him to stop working. It means no salary. He was the major breadwinner. And she continued scraping by working at the restaurant that she had worked at and she was taking care of the kids. And obviously, you know, that gets Expensive. Taking care of the car gets expensive, especially since she's driving from Nevada to L.A. Housing gets expensive. And there was, even in the news report, she says that there were times where she had to sleep in her car. And so one of her friends alerted this news team and the team decided to show up to the restaurant, uh, you know, posing as regular customers. And they eat, you know, and they're, start, they're chatting up a conversation with her. And when they finish, one by one, They start giving her these massive tips, you know, a hundred dollar tip. And, you know, she's moved by it. she's super thankful, uh, you know, that this customer is giving the tip. She doesn't know why. And then another one, another person gets up, you know, over there in the restaurant. And then they give, you know, another massive tip, you know, four hundred dollar tip. And she's just blown out of mind. And then another person gives five hundred dollars. And another person gives a thousand dollars. And this girl is so moved to tears because she knows that with the money comes hope with the money comes ease a little bit easier in terms of caring for her husband Uh, things become a little bit easier when it comes to caring for her children things become a little bit easier finding a safe place to sleep sleep not having to worry about her car breaking down You know, these types of things become less and less of an issue with, you know, these $2,000 that this team, these news reporters are giving her. And then eventually the whole entire team decides to kind of descend upon her. And then they give her an additional $12,000. And then here's some dude, you know, from a car dealership. He shows up and pledges her a rental car, allowing her to drive from Nevada to Los Angeles and then Los Angeles back. I think for me, what made the story so touching Oscar came in and I was like wiping away, pretending I wasn't wiping away tears in the office. What makes the story for me so touching is not only the giving and the receiving, but it is also the real and present hope that she experienced upon receiving the financial blessings, receiving this love and support. It's a real and present hope that then helps her to live in the midst of suffering, to endure these times of trials. And it is this love and pledge of support that gets her through the heartache. It doesn't remove the heartache. It just makes the heartache a little bit easier. These acts of love, these gifts given in love, empower her to actually fulfill her responsibilities and to do good, even in the midst of difficulties. Friends, I hope you see the parallel. I think the parallel is obvious in relation to Christmas in many ways. This is what the gift of Jesus does for us as Christians. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that right there, friends, if you're visiting with us and you're not a Christian, that verse right there, John 3, 16, summarizes the gospel story right there. It's a story about how God created man to be in a relationship with him, but man rebelled against him. They had gone away. They had turned away and sinned the Bible calls it. They sinned against their creator. Even though God drew near to them, man basically said, get lost. I don't really care. And so we flexed our own autonomy and strive to be kings unto our own selves, strive to be uh, lawmakers unto our own selves, and we rejected the true king. Now for that, as we all know, if you go against the one true king, that is nothing less than treason. And so we earn for ourselves just judgment god's just and righteous judgment even the bible says judgment in hell well, that's the bad news the good news of the gospel the incarnation is that where a man created the problem god gives us the solution god even though he is all righteous and all just he reaches out to sinful man in love and mercy and compassion and establishes a way back to him if one would repent of their sins and believe And with the gift of Christ comes an eternal inheritance, right? Eternal life. That's one way the Bible speaks about salvation. With the gift of Christ comes reconciliation to the creator, right? Where we were hostile against him and he, because of our hostility, was hostile against us. He puts those things aside and makes us at one through the blood of Jesus Christ. Where we were living in unrighteousness, God the Father gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so when he sees sinners who have turned from their sins and believe, he sees us as covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And in that there is forgiveness of sin. There is freedom from guilt. There is freedom from shame. There is confidence in Jesus Christ. There's security in Jesus Christ. There's freedom to let go of all the stuff of the world, which many of you guys might have been wrestling with early this morning, particularly maybe you kids wrestling with the stuff of this world crying because you can't open your presence we here in the gospel of jesus christ we are freed to let go of the stuff that doesn't ultimately matter but to cling to the things that matter namely jesus christ and the forgiveness and right standing in him three days later he gets up from the dead showing all that payment has been made and that all who believe in him are in fact declared righteous If that is true, again, friend, if you're visiting with us, if that is true, then that's a game changer. That's a gift that brings along a hope that allows us to live in and experience a confidence in Jesus Christ. Like that woman who received those monetary gifts. But when we receive such a spiritual gift, we are freed up all the more to live to the praise of his glory. We are freed up all the more to live for good in the face of evil. Friends, this is what our passage reminds us in this morning. The hope we have in Jesus now empowers us Christians to live as light in the world. Speaking of the excellencies of Jesus Christ and then also living in the excellencies of Jesus Christ. Uh, Now, if you have joined us for whatever you might think a traditional Christmas service is, let me just inform you that th- today's passage is not a traditional Christmas passage, but the truth is, no matter what passage we are in, all of Scripture points to Jesus Christ. Therefore, every passage in Scripture is an appropriate passage to speak on, even on Christmas Day. Every single Sunday, friends, we get the opportunity as Christians to celebrate the incarnation, the righteous life of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. So I invite you to turn with me to First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. If you're using one of those black Bibles in front of you, you can be found on page 1015, I believe. First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. And again, you know, we're just walking through this book. And it just so happens that, uh, you know, we are on this particular passage on Christmas Day. This wasn't planned. It was just uh, in terms of what do I think would be best for Christmas, folks. This is just like we're preaching through the Bible. So this is what we come to. As you turn there, I'll give you a little bit of background. This is written by a man named Peter. So written by an actual man, written to actual people, actual churches uh, who were in modern day Turkey. And they were, in fact, suffering for the faith. The Emperor Nero was no friend of Christians. And a few years after this letter was written, uh, an all-out persecution against Christians. Just some horrendous things would go on and happen to them. Perhaps uh, they they were experiencing some... Uh, To some degree, a state sponsored persecution, but it wasn't as widespread as it would be in the mid 60s here. This is the early 60s, as Peter is writing here. And uh, this is all about living in the realities of the gift of hope in Jesus Christ. Even in the face of suffering, given the realities of who Jesus Christ is, what it looks like to have salvation in him, eternal life in him. Peter encourages them. Look there in chapter two, verse 12. 2 verse 12 this is what he encourages them they're facing suffering he says keep your conduct among the gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers they may see your good deeds and glorify god on the day of visitation Here he's talking about the second coming of jesus christ when christ would come again to consummate his kingdom and establish his righteous rule now here when he's talking about gentiles he's not talking about non-jews because the church that he was writing to, they were it was full of non-Jews and Jews. There were Gentiles in the church there. So when he says Gentiles, he's talking about those people who are not believers in God. That's what he means. They're spiritual Gentiles. You can think about it that way. But he's saying there, look, the mission is, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they might be won over to Jesus Christ. That's really the thrust here of this passage. And it starts all the way, this whole entire section, it really starts from to eleven, and then it goes all the way to our section today, uh, and we're going to look at that. If you look there in verses thirteen to seventeen, he, he here he addresses various spheres of the life. Right, the mission is to do good, and every place in which you are watched is a battlefront, an area where you are to live out this mission. So he he, he looks at this public sphere, so your relationship with the government, right, Christian citizens. Under government authorities. He looks at that. And then he moves on in 18 to 25. There he speaks about the household sphere. He speaks specifically about Christian servants under their unjust masters. And then today we look at the marriage sphere. Wives to husbands. Husbands to wives. So as Peter encourages Christians, he tells citizens, right? You guys, citizens. Even though you might experience unjust suffering from earthly kings remember that jesus is the true king and that he reigns peter encourages christian servants experiencing unjust suffering uh, from their masters he reminds them continue to do good just as jesus christ did walk in his footsteps and then again today we look at how following jesus christ can help wives and husbands live in light of a very real hope in the gospel the outline today from the passage It just flows from the passage. We look number one, if you're taking notes, we're looking at number one, the wife's call to godliness. That's in verses one to seven. Second, we look at the husband's call to godliness. That's in verse eight. And then uh, we conclude briefly with a summary call to all Christians to persist in godliness. That's in verses nine to 12. I'll go ahead and read those verses right now. This is chapter three, verses one to 12. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Let's look at number one, the wife's call to godliness there in verses one to seven. You see the mission there that he gives uh, to wives here in verse one. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands here. He's he's continuing the theme that he has already brought up. If you look there in verse 13 is be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Verse 18, be subject. He's talking to servants, to masters, and then picking up the same topic. He speaks there. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands and so what he does is he addresses those under authority and naturally so remember these christians were suffering under authority so he's trying to address those what does it look like to do good in the face of a potential danger a potential threat a potential hopelessness and you see that the purpose there of this godliness this mission of godliness it is look there so that they might be won over without a word so, that they may, might be won over without a word. That is, that they might be won over to Christ. So, here the situation is talking about Christian wives who are married to non Christian husbands. Christian wives who are married to non Christian husbands. Now, let's be clear. Let's be honest. Some of you guys here are hearing, like, Merry Christmas, wives submit to your husbands. And already you're kind of checking out how many people you need to climb over to make a dramatic exit. Because uh, you're thinking, you know, what kind of church speaks about. Uh, wives submitting to the husbands on christmas apparently this church does well once again it's because the bible addresses it so we think it's good too to address these things Um, now if you are unfamiliar with christianity you know this can sound really strange can't it it's ugly to some to some submission is a bad word and it's hard to read these words because you struggle maybe to understand what exactly he's saying here. You know, he says, uh, frankly, that submission is not bad. That's not what he says. He says submission is actually beautiful to the Lord, right? If we want the word to speak to our lives, we want to investigate what it actually says. It says it is beautiful to the Lord. Just look at the words that Peter used to further explain the submission. He says there, he calls it respectful and pure conduct. Speaks about the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So the big category is submission, and then he speaks about this gentle and quiet spirit being beautiful in God's sight. Now, the world oftentimes thinks that submission implies inferiority, right? Where women are lesser of value than men. So men are of greater value and women of are, our of are lesser value. That's what the world wants you to think. But that's not what the Bible says. You know where we can look to see this, that it is not about inferiority or superiority. This idea of submission, we can look directly at the incarnation of Jesus Christ, right? The reason for the season. We see the eternal son of God sent by the father to accomplish the father's purposes. And so Jesus Christ, he submits himself to the father's will. And so he prays freely. He prays openly. Your will be done. You also see it in the spirit. The spirit is submitting to uh, Jesus and the father as they send out the, the, the spirit. But in relation to Jesus, Jesus is not lesser in value to the father but yet he submits. Jesus is not inferior to the Father, but yet he still submits. Christ is still worthy of worship. He shares the divine throne in the book of Revelation at the end, where he is worshipped. Jesus is equal in value to the Father, yet he still submits to the Father's will. Another way to think about it is that they are equal in value. Jesus and the Father are equal in value, but they still differ in role. Friends, this dynamic is reflected in the relationship between husbands and wives equal in value but different in role according to god's good plan according to god there is something uniquely good about a husband leading and then a wife submitting to that relationship to that leadership so let's be clear while the bible teaches that husbands are to lead and wives are in fact to submit to their Uh, husbands it also affirms equality of in gender equality of male and female both are made in the image of god right both are created in the image of god and then as you just follow genesis right both sin so women aren't more inherently sinful both of them sin both of them have equal access to salvation in jesus christ men and women both have equal access to salvation in jesus christ and if we're looking for a verse that sums up this equality in jesus christ we can turn to galatians 3 28 Uh, you don't have to turn there if you want to feel free galatians 3 28 this is what it says paul says there is neither jew nor greek there is neither slave nor free there's neither male nor female for you are all one in christ jesus now, Paul the Apostle, there, he's not saying that there are no gender distinctions. There are very clear gender distinctions, according to Genesis chapter 1. He is, though, saying that it doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. So, whether you are a Jew or whether you are a non Jew, whether you are Hispanic or whether you are Chinese, whether you are Caucasian or whether you are African, he says it doesn't matter what you are. You're one in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what social status you have. You could be a slave person or a free person. It doesn't matter. We're one in Jesus Christ. It doesn't even matter what gender you are. Both genders, male and female, have equal access to Jesus Christ. Anyone and everyone who repents of their sin and believes on Jesus Christ has salvation. And so in Christ, we are one. It, there is equality of genders, even though there's distinction in role and submission Uh, and distinct leadership so friends that's what it's like to operate in the kingdom of christ you see in in the world there they might tell you that women are lesser in value but in the kingdom of christ there is equality though there is distinction in role you know peter we got to consider the context that he was writing in it very much is uh similar to the context if you speak about the world generally today this is what the people would have believed in the first century, the context that Paul's Peter's writing to. This is what he says. Uh, This is what scholars say. Uh, The Greco-Roman elite cultures, the cultural elites, believed that women by nature were inferior to man. Women by nature were inferior to man. Now, this is still present in some cultures of this world today. And they believe that the culture believed that women, the woman lacked the capacity for reason that the male had, that she was ruled rather by her emotions and was, as a result, given to poor judgment, immorality, intemperance, wickedness, greed and materialism. She was untrustworthy. She was contentious. And as a result, it was her place to obey. That's what the world said. This is the kingdom of man kingdom of man still teaches this now here in america it's a little bit different there are still pockets that would believe that now our day and age, they're trying to say that there are no gender distinctions so there's gender fluidity that's a different conversation conversation that the bible still addresses god says that that gender is good at creation before sin entered in the world there's male there's femaleness and those things are good uh but here it addresses those who believe that women somehow are inferior to men but friends, once again, the kingdom of Christ, uh, we must acknowledge according to the Bible nowhere in scripture teaches that women are mentally or emotionally or morally inferior to men. That's a good and wonderful thing, okay? The second thing to note, in light of uh, equality, we nevertheless see God's design in gender roles. So the first thing we're noting, you know, if you're taking subpoints, you know, you got the subpoint there is equality, second thing to note there are still gender distinctions, gender roles. We see in the Bible that God places on husbands the unique responsibility to lead. So if you're a husband, that's that's the responsibility you have to lead your wives. If you're training to be a husband, that's what you are to aspire to. You are to lead your wives. It's a unique calling there. And then for Christian wives, the calling there is to submit to your husband. Not to every man equally, but to your husband. Not to every man in the church, but to your husband. Um and that's a good thing. And I think common sense affirms this. Right? I just think common sense affirms these things. You don't have to be a Christian to, to acknowledge uh, common sense, for example. Um, but common sense affirms the goodness of these biblical roles. So uh, I, I saw a another YouTube video. I don't think that all I do is watch YouTube videos. <clears throat> um, I saw a prank video where this guy was dressed up like a ninja in an elevator. Have you guys seen this? <laughs> and... Um, and somehow they get the music going in the elevator, and of course, random people are entering into the in, into the uh, the elevator, and there 's this ninja guy dressed up in a ninja suit or more like a mortal combat suit and right, and as the, the elevator begins to descend or ascend, the guy like starts yelling at him, and you know he 's doing his martial arts move, and you, you know you 've got to feel sorry for these poor innocent bystanders who are being freaked out absolutely right. So, you know, you see these individuals and they're getting freaked out. They're falling onto the ground. They're yelling. And then the guy takes off his mask and he's laughing. It's really, it's really a horrible thing. Um, And then a couple walks in. And when the ninja guy starts doing his thing, the guy in fear not only uses his girlfriend as a human shield, I kid you not. He starts pushing her forward as if to stay alive just a little bit longer. Now, even if she has a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, even if she is the CrossFit national champion, I mean, come on, don't we want the guy to at least take the initiative to pacify the situation? Even if it's like, hold on, if you don't stop, she will defeat you, no problem, right? Even that is initiation, even that is leadership. And you got to ask the question, like, whatever happened to their relationship after that? When the guy is like pushing his girlfriend towards this mortal combat guy. Another example, this is in a John Piper's book. Uh, you know, he mentions, you know, how would you wives think, right? If you hear a loud noise downstairs, you wake up your husband and he rolls back. And as he is turning back over, he says, it's your turn to go check on who's downstairs. That's equality, right? Do we want that equality? No, I think common sense says that it's good for men to take the initiative. And then when it comes to women and then submission, right? When this loving leadership is working well, when it is working well, doesn't common sense tell us that it is good to submit? Who wouldn't want to submit to a loving leadership that has your best interest in mind all the time? Who would not want to submit to a leader who fights for you and sacrifices for you to the death all the time? where where the leader would throw himself all of his weight and all of his characteristics towards your protection and your good all of the time. Wouldn't that be a submission that you love? A free submission, not a submission that's marked by shackles and chains, but a submission of freedom, recognizing that this man is a man who's going to lead me and protect me. This makes sense. Whether we are talking about wives and Husbands, citizens and their governments or even platoons and their sergeants or employees and their employers. Submission to a good and loving leader and authority makes wonderful sense and can be a wonderful thing. But of course, this submission here is not ultimately based in common sense, although common sense reflects these truths. It's rooted ultimately in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a huge reason of why submission is beautiful to God here in the pages of scripture i mean believe it or not the roles of men and women in the family in the church reflect actually gospel truths they reflect gospel truths they point to gospel realities the husband's loving leadership over the wife is to be like according to ephesians chapter 5 christ's loving leadership over his church christ who loves sacrificially for the church who takes on flesh for the church who lives a righteous life for the church who fends off Satan in the desert for the church, who lays down his life for the church and dies and sheds his own blood for the church. He cares for her and he looks after her. For the Christian wife, her submission to her husband is to reflect the submission that that the church has towards her loving Savior. It's a sweet submission, a confident submission, a submission to the loving headship of Jesus Christ. So submission is beautiful because it reflects gospel truths christ's undying love for his church and the church's submission to her savior you christian wife if you're a christian wife here whether you are married to a non-christian or a christian you see what husbands could see in your godly conduct what what is possible for them to observe you see the message you can communicate as you submit to him In your submission to him, whether Christian or not, you communicate, it is good to be in the arms of my savior. That's what happens when you submit to him. It is not ultimately submission to him. It is ultimately submission to God because it is God who finds this submission pleasing. You show him, you show your husband the sweetness of a submission to a savior like that. You show them that God is trustworthy even in difficult life situations because God, your God, is looking out for you even, frankly, when your husband is not. You say it is good to be in the arms of my loving Savior. You don't have to have a non-Christian to understand this dynamic. I mean, imagine placing your hope in anything. So whether you are a guy, whether you're a girl, married to a non-Christian or a Christian, you understand this dynamic here. Imagine placing your hope in anything anything, any relationship, or even your very own self, your own abilities, and when that thing is in jeopardy, that thing you trust in is in jeopardy, you fear, right? You get desperate. You start clawing after everything. You fear because that thing that we've placed all of our hopes in is being stripped from us, and there is fear, there's desperation, there is a freakish desire to control. When that thing is taken from your grasp, and you despair, you say, what else do I have? What else do I have? But in Jesus Christ, the true Savior, your true Savior, and in fact, the church's true bridegroom, in his steadfast and committed love, our despairing cries of, what else do I have, are transformed into confident declarations. What else do I need? Because all I have is Christ. All I need is Christ. And we are empowered to live to please our father in heaven, not man on earth, not your husband. We are empowered to live to please, please our father. We can, in fact, live according to the realities of that king, that Christ, that savior and all of the hope that we experience in him. Submission is beautiful. Even when you might doubt your husband's leadership, because in obeying Christ, the king, you testify to your husband that the only one worthy of hoping in is. Is Jesus Christ? There is a hope there. There is a confidence there that is otherworldly. Why is that? Because you're not playing by the kingdom of man's rules. You're playing by the kingdom of God's rules. You live underneath His reign, His rule, and all of the realities that come with salvation to this Savior. Yeah, there's a whole lot of background in relation to gender, in relation to marriage men's and women's roles in marriage. But you know what the requirements are of a submission like this? So if you want to aspire to this submission, do you know what is required? It is required that you desire to please God over your husband. That's what's required. You are required to please God, to have to desire to please God over your husband. You got to know that submitting to your husband is not something that your husband calls you to, but something that God himself calls you to. The Christian wife's respectful and pure conduct, the text says, the gentle and quiet spirit are the things, look there, that are precious in God the Father's sight. This submission requires a strength, doesn't it? A, a strength of godly character. Oftentimes, just think about it for yourself. You know, Once again, you, if you're a man, you can still enter into this situation here. Uh, just think about if you're trying to win somebody over. Particularly here, you know, the text talking about wives trying to win over their husbands. Oftentimes, the the, the fearful wife desires to please her husband. So once again, enter into the situation. Think pleasing your boss. Think pleasing the government. Uh, think pleasing whoever. You know, the, the desire is to do what he likes. Loving according to his will. But the passage calls us to please God over man to do what is pleasing in God's sight. And I think this is the main reason, I think this is the main reason why Peter addresses beauty in the passage. Perhaps these Christian wives were thinking wrongly that they could, in fact, win over their non-Christian husbands to Christ by their own beauty. So it talks about the braiding of hair, gold jewelry, the clothing that they wore. And so Peter here, he redirects them from the worldly methods of winning over the worldly methods of winning over to the godly methods of winning over with the imperishable beauty, the things that don't fade. The things that are pleasing to God that are in God's sight, very precious, he says. Friends, the kingdom of man will tell you to please your man with the tactics of man. But to do so only wins him over to what is temporary. To that which will fail. If you use the tactics of man to win over man. The best you do is win him over to man. And you know with man all things are perishable. But for the woman of God. In the kingdom of God. Christian wives are reminded to please God by living like Christ. Pursuing godliness and in so doing Peter says that your man might be won over to Christ if God wills. Godly lives are the breadcrumbs that lead to the father's feast. And so God tells you, Christian women, Christian wives, even though you might face fear, He says if you want to win over your husband to Christ, then you put on Christ likeness. And so that way, when your husband sees you, he doesn't see the kingdom of man. He sees the kingdom of Christ. And then he says, that is unique. That is powerful. But again, you know, living to please God over man requires a strength of character, doesn't it? It requires also a hope in God. It requires a hope in God. Peter says there in verse five, these were the women who the, the women submitted to their husbands, not because their husbands were all that, but because they hoped in God. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord what he's referring to, Peter, Peter tells these Christians, he says, look, I want you to go all the way back to Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. And look there at Sarah's response when she was told that her and her old husband, Abraham, were going to have a child. And from that child, they were going to have a nation. From that nation, the world, one from their line would be a blessing, which is Jesus Christ to the world. And so here, you're looking at Sarah all the way back there. Abraham is the father of all those who would have faith. And Sarah is his wife, And here Peter holds her out as the example, right? She could have disrespected his old age, the old man. In Genesis, she actually notes his age, but she could have done that disrespectfully. Instead, she calls him Lord. The term of a recognition of authority in that culture. She is a holy woman of God. And so, gals, if you're training to be like a godly woman, If you are a godly wife who is fearing, even right now, maybe her husband's reaction, trying to win him over, friends, you can be her children if you do good, it says there, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Why? It's because you trust in Jesus Christ and his kingdom, his law. Christian women, here you are called to live for the praise of God. And required in doing so is to realign, friends, your definition of beauty from what the world finds beautiful and useful to win people over to what the Lord finds beautiful and pleasing, a gentle and quiet spirit. So if you fear that your husband won't be won over to Christ, Christ calls you to wear the allure of heaven. That is Christ likeness. Christ calls you to trust in him that those he calls to himself will find Christ's very character unique, attractive, and in fact, gorgeous. What some people call Christian sexy. Christ-likeness. Christian sexy. I mean, if you think about it, what are your other options? Wear the allure of the world. Friends, doesn't that just latch his lusts onto the things of the world and not onto Jesus Christ. I have a friend, um, and if I told you his name, many of you guys would know him. I have a friend whose dad watched sexually explicit things very frequently, and his family knew about it. Wife knew about it, children knew about it. And the wife, of course, wanting to uh, gain her husband's affection, thought that she could get him to stop And so give her his affection by changing her own body to look like those other women, changing her own dress to look like those other women, acting like those other women in order to win over affection. And from what I know, what she struggled to realize uh, was that she was actually winning him over to the world. It's tough for her. Last time I talked to my friend, last, it was tough for her to live in the affection that she already had as a child of God, as a beautiful daughter of God, because <clears throat> she wanted to win him over with the world's tactics. And so she's fighting, even right now, fighting to really trust in what is godly and good and what God himself has determined to help win over non-believing men. Now, this doesn't, this doesn't undervalue the preaching of the gospel. Peter's talking about the way we live because these Christians were suffering underneath unjust masters, unjust governments. So naturally he's addressing not what they speak. He's going to address what they speak later on, but he's addressing how they act in response to this fear and in response to this threat. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. So you gals who are not yet married, this passage speaks to you It should be a reminder that it is not always easy to submit. Do not think that it is always easy to submit, even if you are married to a Christian. So, friends, let me encourage you to get together with a girl that you uh, trust and ask them, you know, can you share with me an example of what it looks like to submit to your husband, even when you guys might disagree on something? All right, so we're getting really practical. What does that look like to entrust yourself ultimately to God and so submit to your husband. What does it look like for you to hope in God in the midst of that? Now, what I haven't addressed, what I have not addressed is, um, are you saying that this is total submission, even in the face of abuse? No, that's not what this is saying. This is not total submission. If the man calls you into sin, don't submit. Uh, if a man calls you into sin or is abusing you, what you should do If you're fearing for your life, what you should do is get somebody involved. Get the church involved. In these instances, I believe that it is good and a method of protection for the church to encourage even separation for a time. Just imagine if a husband is going after the life of his wife. It is good to separate, to bring in intervention, counseling, and genuine reconciliation. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about... um, Submitting in things where your life is not in danger. So to summarize here, wives are called to submit to their non-Christian husbands. And friends, this is beautiful as it pleases God the Father. Just think about it like open house. When the Father comes to, to see you and see what projects you're giving yourself to, all the things that you give your time and effort and energy to. You know, is he going to find you giving your life to the things of the world to win over others? Or is he going to give is he going to find you giving things? giving yourself over to the projects of Christ-likeness to display the beauty of God to the watching world. So as we are called to keep our own conduct among the Gentiles pure so that some may come to know Christ, Peter then turns to address the husbands. We've addressed the wife's calling to godliness. Now we address the husband's calling to godliness. So the Christian wives, right, they called to, uh called to a beauty according to God's standards, God now calls husbands to a leadership according to God's standards. This is point number two. The husband's call to godliness. Found there in verse eight. I'll go ahead and read that. Oh, sorry, verse seven. Uh, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You see their call there, verse seven. Yeah, verse seven. And here is probably short, you know, it's only one verse. Uh, once again, because the way, he's reply, re, the way he's writing is reflecting the Christian experience. He's, he's speaking to those who are experiencing unjust suffering underneath their earthly authorities. Uh, this is why there are six verses on wives and then only one verse on husbands. Here the husband's call is a call to godliness. Live with your wives in an understanding way, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So keep in mind the cultural context that this was written to there. They believed that women were inferior by nature to men. That's what the culture said. Here, this notion is flipped on his head in the kingdom of God. Again, there is no inferiority or superiority, but equality. And so the husband's call is a call to acknowledge equality. That's why Peter calls them heirs with you of the grace of life. There, the grace of life. He's talking about salvation. Heirs with you men in the grace of life, of the grace of life. It's pretty shocking in light of the cultural background here. The woman had no inheritance rights. They had no inheritance rights. And so what Peter comes along and says, he says, look, in the kingdom of God, all are so-called sons of God, as in men or women, you are granted an eternal inheritance in the kingdom of God by God the Father. So you see there, the, the cultural expectation is flipped on his head and he raises up the status of women, actually. According to verse 7, this is the primary way husbands live with their wives in an understanding way. A more little English translation is live with them according to knowledge. Live with them according to knowledge. This is the primary way husbands are to live with their wives. It is with knowledge. It's a knowledge of what God desires of them and for their wives. It's a knowledge. It's a life informed by God's will for women, that they are co-heirs, not people who have no rights, but they are co-heirs, loved of God. They should expect the eternal inheritance in Jesus Christ. I mean, this is something that Peter has been doing throughout this whole entire section. He tells citizens, honor the emperor, but fear God. He tells Christian servants, Be subject, fearing God, being mindful of God, being conscious of God. He tells wives, hope in God. And here he tells husbands, acknowledge the will of God for your wife. Live with them, informed of God's will for women. See, friends, this requires you men. This requires a redefinition of leadership. Women are called to redefine their beauty. They're called to uh, live to the live to the pleasure of God, the father, not to their husbands. Ultimately. Here, the men are called to redefine leadership and to live under a will of another, to live under the will of another. This means, friends, you cannot, your, your wife is not there to do your will as if you are God. But you are to treat your wife with respect and honor, it says honor, giving honor to the weaker vessel. Now, if you're asking what a vessel is, if you, just to be clear in the Bible, uh, men and women are called vessels, just they're like a pot is created by the potter. Uh, we are vessels created by God. But what does it mean to be a weaker vessel? First, in the Bible, human, uh, or uh, let me just address this weaker here. Weaker can seem a little bit offensive, right? Uh, especially in today's age. For a woman to be called a weaker vessel, that could be offensive, but it need not be offensive. I think this phrase just reflects the fact that um, a fact that's known around all of the cultures around the world, that men are taller and uh, taller and stronger on average than the women from that same culture. That's clear in every culture. That men are taller and stronger on average than the women of that same culture. Remember, we already stated in the Bible that there is no. It is nowhere argued that women are lesser or inferior. Of, uh, of intelligence or any way they are not morally weaker they are not emotionally weaker but here i mean culture tells us we can look around all the different cultures they uh, women are physically weaker oftentimes in general compared to the men of that same culture here in christian marriage though the weaker finds a place of safety according to the kingdom of man however there is uncertainty but in the kingdom of god there is safety. So living with this understanding is living in such a way that your wife's humanity, your wife's humanity and inherent honor is to be cultivated, not stripped. Their inherent humanity and honor that comes along with it is to be cultivated and not stripped. And you know, strangely enough, let's get practical here. You know, strangely enough, I know. I, I think one way that husbands hamper equality in marriage is by only thinking that their relationship with their wives in merely submission headship categories. It's by only thinking of their relationship with their wives as merely headship and submission categories. And the thought is, right, she is supposed to do what I say. And then the wives, too, can kind of encourage us in some some ways. Am I supposed to do what he says? As if that is all that is underneath submission and headship. I mean, it is obvious that the Bible calls women to submit to their husbands. We don't want to reject that. That's what the Bible says. We're going to stick to that. Uh, that's what God says. But that's not the only way that husbands and wives are to relate to one another. So underneath the big umbrella of headship and submission, there's also principles of mutuality. For example, if you're taking notes, write that on Pr- principle of mutuality. So 1 Corinthians 7 verses 1 to 5. You don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 5. You have here the principle of mutuality where Paul tells husbands, he says, give to your wives her conjugal rights. Give her your give her your body. And he says, wives, do the same to your husbands for there's a reason for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. That's mutuality in marriage. Underneath the big umbrella of submission and headship. Submission and headship is not threatened by mutuality. In fact, submission and headship, the covenant of marriage, functions best with principles of mutuality. There's a sharing of bodies that does not threaten male headship, does not threaten the husband's authority. Now, I think we can extend this principle of mutuality into other areas. What I mean is, you husbands or men who are trained to be husbands, Men uh, who think authority is, you know, who does the final decision come down to, right? That's a good question in certain circumstances. But let's not neglect the mutuality necessary to make a decision. Let's not neglect the mutuality that leads to a decision being made, the sharing of information, like the person you're married to is actually a human being, Uh, like the sharing of wisdom, the sharing of knowledge, the sharing of experience in a way that shows mutual dependence upon each other for the covenant of marriage to work. Friends, she is your helpmate. According to Genesis chapter 1, she's your helpmate that God has given to you to help you in your task of leading your family to love Jesus and neighbor more. Your wife brings to the marriage emotional, intellectual, spiritual, and moral capacities to the marriage for good. Good. So, okay, here, husband's diagnostic test to help us determine if we are leading our families with God's intentions for us and our wives. Do you appreciate your wife's strengths that she brings to the marriage? Do you appreciate your wife's strengths that she brings to the marriage? Do you seek out your wife's emotional interpretation of you? In this area, chances are she is stronger than you in the sense that she knows Emotions and knows there's a greater self awareness oftentimes with women that men oftentimes don't have. Men are oftentimes dense emotionally. So, do you seek out your wife's emotional interpretation of you and your actions? Do you seek out her assessment in situations? Why you're doing what you're doing? Friends, do do you seek out her spiritual input? Do you seek her assessment on your own pulse of how you're doing spiritually and your own morality? As you pursue Christ's likeness. Dudes, if you see your wife's sole task to be doing what I ask. That's probably an indicator that you have sinfully neglected who your wife is as a human being made in the image of God. Given to you to be your helpmate equipped with measures of divine wisdom of knowledge And understanding according to the spirit and given for you in order to help you, in order to sanctify you and make you more godly. Brothers, if you were like me, we would be wise to utilize our wives as God's agents of grace that he has placed in our lives to help us. Let me encourage you guys to ask your wives this very afternoon. Do you feel like I value the strengths you bring to our marriage? Ask your wife that this afternoon. If not, what strengths do you feel could be better utilized in our marriage so we might serve God more faithfully? Just ask her those two questions. Do you feel like I value the strengths you bring to our marriage? And if not, what strengths do you feel could be better utilized in our marriage so we might serve more God more faithfully underneath godly leadership? If we don't live with our wives in an informed way, informed by God's will, Did you notice that according to the passage, there's a huge cost? There is a huge cost. It says there, live with them, give honor to the woman as a weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Of course, this makes actually entire sense. Think of the husband and wife relationship. If you reject God's will for your wife while praying to God about your wife, you got to ask like, what in the world are you praying about? That she would be a better servant to you and your own will? Or are you actually praying that she would be serving God, honoring God, even in the ways that she submits to you? I mean, if you do not care about God's will for your wife and you are praying to God about God's will for your wife, whose will are you praying? You're probably praying, my will be done instead of God's will be done. The bigger picture, if you reject God's will in an ongoing sense, In a non-Christian sense, I know God's will. I just don't care about it. Of course, God's not going to answer your prayer because you have no desire to please God. As verse 12 says, God's face is against those who do evil. Friends, you see this present hope here given to us in Jesus Christ. It is a present hope that empowers us to do good, to let go of the things of the world and the world's ways but instead to live according to the kingdom of Christ. He calls wives, trust in Jesus Christ, hope in God the Father, your true Father, and hope in Him ultimately, not in your own husband. Don't hope in yourselves even, but take on the definition of beauty that is pleasing to God. Wife's call there is to godliness. Live your life pleasing to God, not man. Redefine beauty according to God. Husbands here are called to godliness, live with God as king. It is his will that goes, not yourselves. And in so doing, you will live with your wife, showing her honor and respect that she deserves as one who is made in the image of God. As we conclude, and as Peter himself concludes, we are reminded to pursue godliness while living in the realities of salvation in Christ. Look at verses 8 to 12. I'll read that now. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. who do evil here in verses eight to 12. It summarizes much of what has been covered in the previous chapters, the last two chapters. In short, we are reminded to live in the realities of the kingdom of Christ, trusting in his rule and reign, following the pattern of Christ who did not repay evil for evil, but instead came to die on the cross in order to bless his enemies. This is Christ's pattern friend that you wives and husbands are called to follow. All Christians are called to follow It is the pattern that we are to walk in. As it says there in verse nine to this, you were called that is blessing those who even curse you to this. You were called that you may obtain a blessing. This blessing is the blessing suffering. Christians were reminded of in the beginning of the letter. If you recall, they were born again to an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. That's the eternal end times blessing that comes at the return of Jesus Christ where believers are rewarded for their perseverance. Here we are reminded of it it again, that they will receive this eternal blessing. This is not salvation by works. This is not any name-it-and-claim-it law-and-attraction stuff where you speak what you want into existence. It, friends, has always been God's plan to bless and deliver those who trust and follow Him. Drawing from the Old Testament, Peter roots the experience of these Christians... You Christians, once again, in the experiences of those that have gone before them in verses 10 to 12, here he draws from Psalm 34, a psalm about how God delivers and saves everybody who believes in him and turns from evil and seeks the peace of the kingdom. And in fact, how he judges those who oppose him. Friend, if you're visiting with us as a non-Christian, do you want to live in a way that frees you from fear? frees you from malice and hatred and anger and jealousy this text says that this freedom can only be found in the kingdom of christ where god rights all wrongs in jesus christ friends if you're experiencing those things even in the Christmas season, i was talking to some family friends and they didn't go to one family party because they know that that family argues all the time they don't believe in jesus christ this, this is the reality of the kingdom of the world. It's all because of sin. But friends, in Jesus Christ, God takes care of your sin and your punishment. He, Christ dies on the cross for the wrath that, friends, you deserved. But he invites you to enjoy his rule, his reign in his kingdom, according to his law of grace and mercy and love, if you would repent of your sins and believe on him. And you know, you will know, friends, this freedom the same freedom that allows us to bless those who desire evil upon us. Just like Jesus did. If you look at chapter 2, of 20, chapter two, verse 22, a summary, in many ways, the heart of this section. Here's the example of Jesus Christ. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him, who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and to live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Christians, you have been called to live as agents of grace in other people's lives, not just to the lovely, but even your very own enemies. May we do good knowing that there will be some who will see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we give you praise and we thank you so much for the hope that we have in Jesus a lasting and abiding hope. Lord, we pray that we would be reminded of the fact that our only hope is in Jesus Christ. Lord, even the presence that we open and the food we eat. Lord, we pray that we would see the perishable as perishable. And that we would see the imperishable as imperishable and truly lasting. That is salvation in Christ. Help us whether we are Christian wives, Christian husbands, citizens, children, grandparents, everybody here. Lord, help us love doing good in order that your glory and your beauty and your character would be displayed to all those who watch us. Lord, we thank you for the free forgiveness that we have in Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would anchor our hearts in this hope this very Christmas day, we ask. In your name we pray. Amen.